Hello, it's the Disaster Prince, and uh, today I actually know what I'm talking about. Um, we're going to be talking about another one of my favorite manga. Looks like this is a reoccurring theme with the show, but don't worry, this one isn't really graphic like uh, Flight of the Immortal and Berserk are. So, just putting out there, this is a high recommendation. It's uh, Hirohiko Araki's JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. JoJo! That's Max. Um, so basically, uh, she's not, uh, doing this episode with me. She's just screaming at me from the other room. Very valid of her. But, uh, Jojo's Bizarre Adventure is a funky manga. <laughs> the best word to use is bizarre, but that's already in the title. Um, and it's in eight parts right now, um, split into different protagonists, because it follows a generation, generations of the same family line, the Joestar family line. So it gets a little less conventionally a straight line and gets a little funky at times. So I'm just going to put this out here, and I'm actually doing it at the beginning of the episode for once. Major spoilers for all of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, because I don't exactly know what I'm going to cover just yet. I'm going to go through all the parts, lay down my hot takes. I don't actually have many hot takes, but part one is uh, Phantom Blood, and this focuses on a kid named Jonathan Joestar. He's the paragon of goodness he lives in the 1800s and he's just this fancy little like son of a some sort of minor landholder like not not anyone super high up but you know he's still rich and he gets this uh his adopted brother moves in his adopted brother is this kid named dio who um whose uh father had whose jo uh, Jonathan's father owed a life debt to Dio's father. And on Dio's father's deathbed, because Dio had been poisoning him, he uh, wrote a letter to uh, Jonathan, uh, Jonathan's father to be like, could you take my son in? And that's what happened. Or else I think it, it might be implied that Dio forged the letter, because when I'm thinking about it, I don't see why Dio's father would want his son to live with Jonathan, uh, Jonathan's family. but. Who knows? Uh, anyway, uh, Dio moves in, and they really don't get along well. Dio's a prick, and he's like, "I hate this rich kid who's so sloppy and uncool." And he immediately like steals all of Jonathan's friends and uh, burns, burns his dog. yeah, burns his dog, <laughs> and it's just like in general trying to ruin his life just because he hates Jonathan. And there's this great bit with the dog, uh, Danny, I think the dog's name is. And the, uh, basically what happens is, when first introduced to the dog, Dio knees it in the face. Uh, and this is obviously to show he's an asshole. But it, it, he also says something like, I hate that it's groveling. Like, I hate things that grovel. It's just a dog. Dio's a dramatic uh, asshole, but... He moves in, and eventually, Jonathan kind of, like, beats him up, and is like, no, I, like, he kind of reasserts him, his place in the family as, like, the true heir and, like, a good person. And meanwhile, he's romancing Arena, who is this um, gal, he being Jonathan. And they kind of have um, a falling out because Dio, like, messes with their relationship. And Jonathan and Dio go off to college. <laughs> <laughs> and 
uh, they're both studying to become different things. They don't become either. Jonathan graduates with a degree in archaeology and Dio with a degree to become a lawyer, but like, uh, they both die really. They both quickly go off the tr- go off the deep end because when they return, Jonathan is studying this stone mask, uh, and some some things happen. It turns you into a vampire. I forget the specifics of it, but there's some stuff that happens where uh, Jonathan's family eventually gets a hold of it, but Dio knows that it turns you into a vampire. So he puts it on and he becomes a vampire, and then he goes and he uh, tries to fuck up Jonathan's life. And at this point, he has been trying to poison Jonathan's father, so he can, I think so he can get access to the money. Um, that would make sense. I forget his actual reasoning it's been a while since i read phantom blood but yeah he goes to um i think it's to get money and jonathan figures it out and he they, he goes exploring and eventually dio becomes a vampire and goes and like tries to kill jonathan and his father and it doesn't go great because jonathan is very smart and clever and figures out the fire can hurt vampires so like sets the building on fire and manages to get away and he befriends this guy named Robert E.O. Speedwagon, who is a street thug, who immediately is just like, oh, Jonathan is so noble, I will follow him anywhere. And Robert Speedwagon, yes, he is named for the group. I mean, Dio is obviously named for Dio, and uh, Robert E.O. Speedwagon is obviously named for Speedwagon. Um, but, yeah, there are a lot of people named after musical references. That's, it's pretty much a thing. If there's a musical reference, you know, it's probably in JoJo at this point. Um, so, Phantom Blood is a great series. And Jonathan meets Robert E.O. Speedwagon, who is the street thug who has, like, a hat with knives on it. And they, and he is reintroduced to Arena, and they fall in love some more, and, you know, they kind of rekindle the flame. <laughs> and there's this wonderful scene where uh, Jonathan's uh, laid up in bed after the fight, and Arena's, like, been, like, trying to take care of him all night, and uh, her bo- uh, his bones are broken, but she's about to faint, and he catches her with his broken arm. And it's just, like, that's... That's not how it works. Um, the art in Phantom Blood is beautiful. It's so heavily muscular. <laughs> so ugly but uh he eventually meets this guy named uh zeppeli william zeppeli and zeppeli yeah yeah obviously named after Led zeppelin and he um he's like jonathan you've been fighting this vampire but the vampire's not dead you've got to learn this thing called hammon hammon whatever also known as the ripple and the ripple is the power set for the, um, the ripple is a power set that, like, allows you to control waves, like, not, like, ocean waves, but, like, sun rays, energy waves, kind of, like, the waves in water. Uh, it's a little abstract. Uh, it kind of has, it's kind of sort of life energy based, too, I think. Like, they're able to connect a bunch of leaves at one point. But Jonathan learns how to do Hammond and fights some vampires and continues to fight Dio. And 
it's a very good part. Uh, there's some very interesting, like, class tension tones in Phantom Blood, considering that Dio is, it's A, it takes place in uh, 1800s Britain, B, um, 1880s here, yes, yeah, it's 18, it takes place in 1880s England, and Dio is a, uh, a lower class man, uh, Speedwagon is a lower class man, Zeppeli is high class, but he's Italian, so it doesn't really count, and <laughs> And uh, Jonathan is extremely high class. Uh, I think Zeppeli is technically higher up on the chain. He's a baron. Yeah, he's a baron. So he's hi- he's higher up on the chain, but I'm pretty sure he's just straight up Italian. So I don't really count him in the English class system. Um, but there's a lot that's going on, and Phantom Blood ends with so it ends with so there's this final battle, right? Where Jonathan defeats Dio and cuts off his head with his sword of luck and pluck. And then he goes off to Mary Arena and they're going to sail to America. And Dio's on the boat as a decapitated head and kills Jonathan. Seven days into being married to Arena. And then in a very iconic scene, it's, it's a really good shot of Jonathan's just like cradling Dio's dead head. And he's like, yeah, we're going down together. Not in a romantic way, of, co- of course, but, you know, it's cool. And then Arena survives and she goes on. And it's great. But that kid, that kid does not grow up to be Joseph Joestar. That kid grows up to be jo- uh, Joseph Joestar's uh, dad, who has a kid. And Arena's grandson is the star of part two, Battle Tendency. But before I start talking about Battle Tendency, I should talk a little more about Phantom Blood. Phantom Blood is, like, of the most, I think the most horror-based, because there are a lot of zombies and a lot of vampires. And while there's some very bizarre things, like weird breathing magic, and Jack the Ripper is a vampire who hides in horse bodies at one point. And Dio spends a lot of time, like, splicing men and cats together. It's the most horror-centric of them, and it really doesn't have the same tone as a lot of the rest of it, which gets a lot... I mean, Phantom Blood is very whimsical, but uh, it's a little less whimsical than some of the other parts. Uh, And you kind of get more of a... almost a dark tone. Um, I mean, it ends with the main character dying, for Christ's sake, so... uh, It's a little dramatic. Speedwagon also survives. Speedwagon survives, and he travels to America. And he strikes oil, and he becomes incredibly rich. Just For some reason, Aki was like, yeah, let's just take this character and just make him rich. You know, that's a a satisfying ending to his plotline. It's wild. I like that he just strikes gold and is, I'm not strikes gold, strikes oil and is rich in the new world. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Arena's great-grandson, Joseph Joestar, is a rich kid. He is obnoxious and he is naturally, naturally um, great at Hammond. Ham, uh, the point where he's been kind of using it for years, but not classically trained in the stuff. And he kills a vampire, and he, like, beats up some cops. For being racist. Yeah, for being racist. He beats up some cops for being racist, which immediately tells us that this is our hero. And his story takes place in 1938. Keep that date in mind. It's going to come up. Uh, but 
he starts out in New York City. He's the hip new JoJo. Uh, all of their names are like Jonathan Joestar, Joseph Joestar. They're all Joe, Joe nicknames. Uh, it gets a little more abstract as it goes on, but it um, it's uh, generally, you, you, there's a way you can make it be JoJo. I'm sorry, I was just thinking about something in part eight, and I, that might, I might be on something, but, um, we're still on part two. So, Joseph is skilled but lazy. Whereas Jonathan was skilled but, you know, had to really work, and, you know, had a work ethic and was kind and just generous, Joseph's kind of a shithead. Uh, he doesn't want to work, he doesn't want to do stuff, but... He ends up getting in this altercation with these vampire gods because because someone kidnapped Speedwagon uh, when Speedwagon went to investigate things with his newly founded, I think, Speedwagon Foundation, who just, I have no clue what the Speedwagon Foundation does. I think they investigate, like, vampires and shit. So, Speedwagon is uh, missing, presumed dead, and Joseph is like, okay, let me figure out what's going on. And he goes to Mexico, because we got to have all those fun foreign locations. Whereas in part one, it was like, oh, we're going to a town in Ireland. This one, it's like, oh, from New York City to Mexico. And this is where the fact that it's 1938 shows up, because... Uh, Joseph stumbles upon a Nazi compound where they are holding um, Speedwagon, though he does not know this yet. He's trying to investigate what's going on. And uh, apparently, there's a vampire god in the basement of this compound that they are doing research on. And that's where we meet one of the most bizarre characters. His name is Stroheim. He's a Nazi. So, mark that down. But he ends up helping Joseph kill this vampire and so- kill this vampire god and sort of a we're both greatly outmatched and we need to like both survive this sort of way. And he ends up blowing him blowing part of himself to smithereens doing this. And Joseph has this weird bit where he's like, he may have been a Nazi, but he was honorable. And it's so dumb because he was literally just trying to get out of there, like Every human, pretty much every human would try to survive. He, he blows himself to smithereens for Joseph to get out of there and kill the vampire god. Now, this vampire god does some weird body horror shit. Uh, they have, like, the thing about va- vampires in JoJo is that they're not your traditional vampire. They uh, Sunlight's a problem, obviously. But they have these, like, have, like, total control over their bodies. Like, Dio was able to change his body temperature and the flow of blood in and out of him. Whereas the Pillarmen, these vampire gods, are just able to, like, bend into circles and go as thin as paper clips and break their bones and stuff. And, like, if you're a regular human and you touch them, you'll be, like, absorbed. Or at least that's what happened with this one. This one was named Santana because, uh, musical references. So Joseph ends up being rerouted somehow to Italy, where he meets up with Caesar, um, Caesar Zeppeli, grandson of 
William A. Zapfley from part one. Uh, and he also meets up with this gal, Lisa Lisa, who is his mentor, and she's really cool. But uh, he has to learn how to use Hamlin, and he, you know, has adventures. And he gets in another altercation with the Pillarmen before he's really skilled any at all. And he gets these, like, poison rings shoved in his body. So in 30 days, he'll die if he can't beat the Pillarmen in a fight. And he goes and he fights the Pillarmen. And it goes, um, I'd argue, predictably poorly. Uh, he, I mean, he beats a lot of them. But one, like, Caesar has to weaken for him. Caesar dies. Uh, at one point, like uh, his great granddad dies, and they and they die for Joseph. Um, uh, and that's kind of the Zeppeli tradition: is you die for your Joe Star. Uh, Caesar is actually the last Zeppeli we see for a while. Uh, you kind of get the idea that it was going to be a trend, like for every Joe Star, there's a Zeppeli. But part two ends with the defeat of these vampire gods. And Joseph marries this gal named Susie Q, and he goes back to live in New York. He becomes Donald Trump. Uh, yeah, he becomes a real estate magnet in the 80s. So yeah, he may just be Donald Trump. And then we cut to 1989. Reagan is out of office, and we are inter- introduced to our first non-British show star. And we are also caught up to modern times. Modern-ish times when this was being written. Um, because we are introduced, we are introduced to the fact that Joseph had a daughter named Holly, and Holly married a Japanese jazz musician, and our new Joe, our new Jojo is a kid by the name of Jotaro Kujo, and he is immediately introduced as the coolest kid on the block. He is in jail, in this, like, vandalized uniform, and he's like, you can't let me out, I'm in here for your all, your safety. Because I can kill anyone I want. No one can stop me. He's introduced as being like this uh, like sort of emotionless, angry, cool kid. Uh, and this is where something rather strange happens. You see, Hammond has been our power system up until now. This funky breathing magic that allows you to control sunlight rays. And vampires have been our main villains. A completely new power set is introduced in part three, and this is the power set the rest of the, um, most of the rest of this is going to function on, because we're introduced to another strange power set in part seven, but at least Sam still exists in that. In this one, you just kind of, you just kind of have a manifestation of your fighting spirit if you're, like, one in a million, you know. Uh, and you can have a cool manifestation of your fighting spirit. And stands, um, non-stand users can't see them, and they can only, you know, do certain things, and they have, like, different ranges and stuff. And I'm going to talk a little less about the plot in this one, because the basic plot is Monster of the Week. Um, there's no, like, it's like uh, Jotaro and this group of people, his grandfather, his grandfather's friend, Avdal, um, this Japanese exchange student, he's Japanese, he, he was in, uh, who, who got, like, mind-controlled temporarily, named Kakuin, this French guy who was mind-controlled temporarily named Polnareff, and a really shitty dog, uh, they're the main crew for 
Stardust Crusaders, which is the name of part three. Uh, part two is called Phantom Blood. No, wait, part two is called Battleton. <laughs> See, part one is called Phantom Blood. And Stardust Crusaders is, I think, my favorite part, mostly just because it's very silly. Uh, because it's just like five idiots fumble around in the Egyptian desert because they've got to like get from uh, Japan to Egypt in 50 days and kill Dio, who has resurfaced with a stand, and or else Jotaro's mother will die. And they keep getting interrupted and their plans keep getting sabotaged because Dio doesn't obviously doesn't want them to come to. Egypt and kick his ass. Uh, so they keep getting interrupted by Dio's group. And there are a lot of silly fights. Uh, one thing that's really interesting to note about Stardust Crusaders is that Phantom <sighs> Blood had a, a character arc for its main character. And Battle Tennessee did too. Joseph, uh, uh, Jonathan learned, you know, to fight for good. And Joseph learns to put effort into things. And Jotaro doesn't really learn his lesson. He doesn't learn to stop being a mean prick. He just, like, gets friends. The real character with a character arc is Plenareth, the weird French friend. And his is all about, like, killing his sister and, like, needing help to do it and not trying to strike out on his own. He doesn't kill his sister. His sister wants killed. Oh, sorry. Yeah, shit. Um, re getting revenge on the man who killed his sister. Um, and in part three, everyone's stands are fairly typical. Uh, fairly, I say, because they've got wacky powers. It's JoJo's bizarre adventure. But it's like, oh, this stand can make spirit photographs, or this stand can uh, go from reflective surface to reflective surface. Or this stand um, is is smog that can turn people to life. Or this stand is a an orang. This is an orangutan whose stand is a boat. That one's the weirdest, probably. And part three uh, is is a lot of fun bonding, and then Dio's world is the final battle of part three. And Dio has this ability called the world, which uh, allows for him allows him to stop time for a couple seconds. And it's, it's a highly debated if it's good or if it's a good ending or a bad ending. I think it's a great ending. Half the cast gets killed off. Um, I say half. Iggy the dog is a new member and he's not someone I particularly got attached to. He gets killed. Abzog gets killed. And Kakuin gets killed. Pulnerif gets injured, Joseph dies, but is brought back to life, which is weird. Jotaro saw his ghost exit his body, or at least the reader did. And then uh, Jotaro lives, and uh, Jotaro has the, the stand, the star, and it's basically just, it punches things. It's very good at punching things. But he learns in Dio's world that he also has this time stop ability. And it's one of my favorite fights, just because it's Jotaro has to figure out what he's doing and then figure out, because his time stop ability is not nearly as good as Dio's. He has, I think at most, it's like two seconds, two to three seconds, where Dio is getting stronger and stronger each day because he's a vampire. So Dio, I think, is, at that point has like nine seconds. 
and he keeps expanding it. And it's a really fun fight. Um, Dio is a great character because he fights dirty. He he's like, it's okay if I don't win with dignity as long as I win. Like there's this bit where he snaps his leg and spits the blood in Jotaro's face just to make him flinch. Um, it's an intense fight. Uh, I really like it. I, I like Jotaro as a character. I think he's my favorite JoJo, mostly because his characterization never really changes. I mean, he mellows out a little, but it's mostly just shown how the the cool kid we're introduced to in part three. He's just like that, and that really doesn't help him with his like relationships later in life. And I just like that the the air of mystique is really taken away. He's not he's not a cool kid in the later parts. He's just like emotionally incompetent, which I just think is a fun thing to do with him. Uh, and then he kind of everyone sort of goes their own way, and we get to part four. Diamond is unbreakable, uh, and we are now in 1999. And well. Sorry, excuse me. Uh, we're introduced to another JoJo. And I know there's a lot I'm missing here. There's a lot I wanted to talk about. But uh, it's, I'm already at uh, 25 minutes, and I'm only at part four, and there are eight parts. So we're introduced to the best JoJo. If Jotaro is my favorite, Josuke is one of the best. Josuke Higashikata, which you're probably thinking, wait, wait, where's the other Joe? Apparently, some of the kanji for, for Higashikata can be read as um, Joe. But, you know, that's a pun. And he is Joseph Joestar's bastard son. And he is a lovely little boy. And this is where the stands start getting more interesting and having, like, more cool rules. Because Josuke's stand allows him to return anything to its original state. It's basically, it heals things. Like, it's referred to as healing, but it's like he healed the wall or he healed the rubber glove. Uh, and, and it's a really interesting stand. And this one sets the aesthetic. If, if Stardust Crusaders is traveling through Egypt with your buddy, buddies, Diamond is Unbreakable is murder in a small town. Because the first half of Diamond is Unbreakable is just Josuke messing around and getting friends. He makes friends with this little man named Koichi. I say little man because Koichi is a teen, but he's also like half Josuke's height. Um, and it's... No one ever, like... It's just kind of how he's designed. And, like, his canon height is not at all how he's drawn. He's supposed to be, like, 5'4", but he's drawn like he's 3'4". Uh, and then, uh, who has to stand, the, like, basically make sound effects real? <laughs> uh, it's got different stages as he becomes more emotionally strong. And then there's this kid, Okayasu, whose stand allows him to uh, erase space, which is fun. There's this funky guy named Rohan Kishibe, who's a, man a manga artist, and it allows him to, like, open up the book of your face and write things about you, like, make you do things. It's, like, you cannot attack Kishibe Rohan in some of the stuff he writes. Um, it's interesting. Uh, but a lot of it is just 
Okayashi's older brother has this bow and arrow that can give you a stand, and he's going around shooting people all around town with it. Because uh, they live in this town called Morio, and that's when we're first introduced to this concept that stand users just, if they even if they don't know it or not, flock together. So they're in this small Japanese town, and Jotaro is there because um, he arrived because he was told to find Josuke because it has recently come to light that Joseph had a bastard son, and that's who Josuke is. Josuke is sweet but angry, and he's very valid. Uh... And when it comes to uh, uh, when it comes to villains, Dio was such a great villain in part one and part three. Uh, the Pillar Man from part two were interesting, but I think aesthetically, no villain is up there with Yoshikage Kira, who is a serial killer. We're first introduced to him in this very short segment after, because all the segments are have names like "Let's go eat Italian food" or uh, like. Uh, Koichi Hiros is in love, stuff like that. Like, like these fun, it, it's set up with the same fun Monster of the Week format, and there's no main villain. And then we're interested in this guy who's going about his day. And he, he uh, he's going around with his girlfriend, and then it's revealed that his girlfriend is literally just a severed hand. Uh, and he's this weird serial killer who uh, destroys people and keeps their hands until they rot, and then kills more girls and gets more hands. And he has a very cool stand called Killer Queen. Everything about Yoshikage Kira is queen. Uh, his stand has these two different abilities, and they are uh, bites the dust and sheer heart attack. So, yeah. And he, and he just looks like David Bowie. He's designed to look like David Bowie. And he's just very cool. He wears all these, like, cool suits. And one of the most intense arcs of Part four is this arc very near the end where Kira has developed a stand that allows him to repeat the events of the day uh, focused around one person. And he d he does not know that they're, they're focused around him. Uh, he actually ended up having to use a different stand user to steal some other man's face when he was almost caught. And he ends up uh, having to keep cover by living with this uh, woman who was the man whose face he stole his wife. Mm. And they're um, investigation, like investigating P.I. son. And he ends up, the son ends up finding out that he's not the father. Um, you are not the father. Um, and he ends up, uh, Kira ends up having to kill the son. And then he's like, oh God, I just, the woman's going to find out I'm not her husband. That my whole gig is blown. So he ends up getting this new stand ability which allows him to reset uh, the day and set it on a time loop. And he resets it around the sun, but Kira doesn't know that the day is being reset. He only knows that he's got something that will fix it. And uh, if you say the name of the stand, say Kira's name, or tell slash imply slash let anyone know the stand's name or Kira's name, or uh, I think what it does, then... Uh, you blow up, and you're stuck like that in the timeline. So the kid ends up having to convince the main gang after slaughtering um, Rohan and Jotaro, though they end up being fine, that they ha that Kira is the serial killer, but he doesn't tell them the name or what he does. He just gives them information that tells them the person in this place is the serial killer. So they... Uh, 
figure that out, and they go to beat him up, and then Kira has to recall his stand to its regular fighting form, so he's no longer uh, able to blow up people on the timeline, and, you know, that's when you have the final battle. Uh, and one of my favorite uh, scenes, it, that's one of my favorite scenes, but another one of my favorite bits is a very early on segment before Kira's even introduced called Let's Go Eat Italian Food, in which uh, Josuke and Okeyasu go eat Italian food. But uh, each meal that Okeyasu eats, like, messes him up. Like, it, it does something weird to his body, and then he feels better. But Josuke's like, okay, this is messed up. And it's shot very sinister, but... Um, it's very silly because it's just like, oh, I'm drinking this water from the Himalayas. And Iraqi will give these explanations of like, oh, this food is cultivated here and was, um, got its name from blank. And then it'll like make Okayasu cry so much his eyes deflate and then he'll like drink more and they'll be better and it's fine. It's eventually revealed that the stand there it is a stand user obviously but uh the guy making the food has um a very lame stand ability no offense but it, it, the better quality food he makes the more he can just heal people of their ailments <laughs> uh and it's great it's lovely um it really sets the tone that not all stand users are out there to fuck you over or out there to oppose the main character. Sometimes they just want to help. Uh, Diamond is Unbreakable is, as I said before, a really great part. It's part four. It's, I think, generally accepted to be one of the better parts. Um, I think it's widely panned as the part people like best in general. Like Parts like part five, part six, and part one are highly debated over, like, you either love them or you hate them. But part four is generally accepted as a very good part. And it's uh, a lot of fun. Uh, this, again, Max said something um, when I had to pause this video. But she said that, yeah, it is actually a pretty graphic manga. And, yeah, it is. But there's almost a level of cartoonishness to the violence, even though it is, you know, pretty fucked up. Uh, but in comparison to what I was telling you all about. But anyway. Uh, something to note about JoJo is that the art style really changes. Like, in part one, there are all these really buff guys who's like who have, like, too much muscle and too much bones. And then by part four, they're approaching all twinks. And by part five, everyone's a twink. Uh, and part five is when uh, Rocky gets, like, really into fashion. And part five, we are introduced to Giorno Giovanni. Uh, I know what you're thinking. That's Gio Gio. No, he's Italian. It's Giorno Giovanni. Jojo. Um, and he is. You ready for this? So back in part one, when Dio's head and jo Johnson's body, we learned this in part three. I just forgot to talk about it. Dio took his head and put it on Jonathan's body and then had sex with a woman at some point while he was still alive. And that's Giorno. Giorno is, Gio, uh, Giorno is Dio's biological son. So we're fucking up the family tree even more. Uh, and this one takes place in 2001, which is a very fun time to set it. And in, it kind of is a very different theme, because instead of being heroes tracking down a villain, 
Giorno wants to join the mafia and take it over. That's his goal. Um, as explicitly the don't do drugs guy. Yeah, as, as the don't sell drugs man. And that's just lovely. <laughs> and uh, he wants to take over this group, Passione. And he has a very strange stand, Golden Wind. Golden Wind, um, if I'm remembering correctly, gives life to things. Like, can grow plants and trees and um, birds and things. Like, you can turn things into life, but also if you hit those things, like triple the force, you'll be attacked back. It's an unconventional, but it can also heal you. It's unconventional. It doesn't do any traditional, like, punching damage. So it leads to some pretty bizarre fights. Um, uh, Golden Wind Part 5 is considered one of the stranger parts that's either love it or hate it. Uh, I didn't actually read Part 5. I read part of it, and it just wasn't my thing. Uh, which actually leads me to a point I like to make about JoJo, which is I think it's – I don't think you should read all the parts. I think you should try all the parts. But if there's one that doesn't appeal to you, you don't have to read it. <laughs> um, because it's not a, like a cohesive story. It's just a segment of it. So if you don't really care about the characters or you don't like the specific way this arc is um, done, then just skip over it and go on to the next one. Uh, I'm going to talk a little more about Part 5 because there's another very strange stand in it called King Crimson, which no one knows how it works. Uh, everyone thinks they know how it works if they claim to know how it works, but it's very strange. I think the best way I like to understand it is, God, what was it? It removes, so, no, 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 I'm forgetting the word, but it, um, it removes either cause or effect. It removes cause. No, it, it, it removes the fact. It removes the fact. Uh, because... Cause. No, because Jorner's stand removes the fact. Okay. Yeah, so it removes cause. So basically, if you're trying to do something... Oh, wait, no, King Crimson's there. It's beat you. But And it seems pretty unbeatable. But then Jorner shows up later, and Jorner gets a stand upgrade, which is an ungodly powerful stand, which removes a fact. Which means, no matter what you do you will be trapped in, like, your own death forever. And it is so powerful to the point where I don't think Giorno even knows he has it. He just goes in there, and it acts of its own free will, and it, like, kills Diablo, and who's the main villain, and traps him in a, um, a port, like, a, a pocket of space-time where he's just going to keep dying forever. And that's another interesting thing. Some stands have agency and some don't. Um, like in part three, Koichi's stand had agency, but... It swore a lot. It swore a lot and it was kind of a prick. But other stands just don't. And it's interesting. Um, but part five is kind of fun because everyone's named after a food product. Just, and everyone dresses in these ungodly outfits. There's this guy named Fugo who has... Um, it's a suit. So imagine a blazer, right? Now make it an obnoxious color, because there's no color scheme in JoJo, because the colors keep swapping and switching. 
because he likes to do uh, prints with these funky colors. So uh, imagine a blazer in some ungodly color. Uh, now, put lots of holes in it. It's only got two buttons, one like right between the pecs and one like right over the belly button. No, wait, above the belly button, like in between the pecs and the belly button. And put a tie under it and make that tie another obnoxious color and cover it in strawberries. Ah, I've painted you a terrible image picture. And it is one of the all-time worst designs of a character I've ever seen. And I love it. I think it's beaten by Anna Sui in part six, who I will be getting to. But it is an ungodly creation. And I, it has a special place in my heart, let's be real. But since I didn't really read Golden Wind, I don't have a lot to say about it. So we're moving on to part six, Stone Ocean. In Stone Ocean, we are introduced to the coolest girl alive. We are introduced to Jotaro Kujo's daughter, Jolene Kujo. We are introduced to Jolene, 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 Jolene. Uh, as she is going to jail, which is, I think, a nice juxtaposition of her and Jotaro. Because we are introduced to Jotaro, who does not need to be in jail, but wants to be. And Jolene, who does not need to be in jail and does not want to be. Because she has been framed for murder, I think. She she is some, she's not actually responsible for the death of this one guy, but the court found her responsible, so she's going to jail. This type one takes place in, let's see, where does it say? Uh, uh, there's no year. I think it takes place in, like, 2011, and it also takes place in Florida. And Jolene meets a lot of cool people in prison. She meets... Uh, a bunch of plankton who have a stand and are hiding in a human body. She meets a little boy whose ability is to have just a room that he can, like, go into and out of. Like, this weird hideaway room. She meets Hermes Costello, a very cool woman with a stand called Kiss, which allows her to have, like, these stickers that duplicate things. Um... Which is one of my all-time favorite stand designs is uh, Kiss. So is Jolene's stand, uh, Stone Free, which allows her to turn into string. Yeah, these keep getting a little stranger. We meet Weather Report, who has storm powers. And we're going to get into Weather Report in a second, because his backstory is... Not wild. Bizarre. And we're also introduced to Anna Sweet. Anna was originally intended to be a girl and Jolene's love interest, which would have been valid, even though Anna Sweet is not valid in the slightest. Anna Sweet turns people inside out. That's his power. Um, and an interesting note on Anna Sweet, of the prison group, he's the only one actually in there for a crime. Because he, if I remember correctly, slaughtered his girlfriend and the dude she was cheating on him with by, like, turning them inside out. Like, he actually committed a double murder. Everyone else has been framed or is going to prison to, like, track down. Um, oh, I just noticed something. I'm pretty sure, if I remember correctly, Hermes' motivation is to track down the person who kills her sister. So, more part three uh, analogs. So I guess if it's part three, that means Kakuin? I guess it has to be Anasui. <laughs> Am I wrong in there? No, it fits. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah, um, 
it's not like a, a one on it's not one on one, but you know, there's some interesting stuff there. And the main villain of part six is a gay priest. He's not actually gay, but he's, he, gay. he's gay. His name is Enrico Pucci. He's got his luck is such a good luck. And he's trying to speed up time to reach paradise. Because Dio told him to. Dio is not Dio is not still alive, but like Dio has influence. Um, he has, as the manga says, gravity. Um, God, I think there's a bit, and I I may be wrong, but I think there's a bit where Fuji says, "I loved him as I loved God." I could be wrong. That that might just be like a fan thing, but I, I there's. Poochie's gay. But Poochie and Weather Report. So, back in time. Uh, in the South. Poochie and Weather Report are both black. And they're both born, if I remember this correctly, could be wrong. So, uh, Max, you can correct me. They're born as twins. But Poochie is rather dark, and Weather Report is rather light. And someone has a... Uh, someone steals Weather Report because uh, her baby died, so she takes Weather Report and replaces the corpse with uh, where weather, weather Report was, so it's like, oh, only one twin survived. And Weather Report grows up uh, believing he is white and with with white parents. Well, Poochie grows up, and I think Poochie becomes a priest? Yeah, Poochie becomes a priest, and Weather Report becomes a private eye? No, 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 no. There's, there's a fire. Weather report just becomes someone, and the weather report starts dating this girl, right? Um, God, I'm. Isn't there incest involved at one point? Okay, okay, okay. Weather report starts. Okay, I'm gonna come into the room so you hear. Yeah. Weather report. Poochie knows weather report is his long lost twin. Weather report is dating a girl who Poochie knows Weather Report is related to, but Weather Report does not know he is related to. Poochie does not want to reveal himself. Uh, because he'd have to reveal that, you know. Yeah, that they were switched to birth and a whole bunch of things. He doesn't want to actually talk to Weather Report. I mean, so, would you believe that if you heard it? No, I, I wouldn't. Yeah. I wouldn't believe a long last story. So instead he decides, okay, I'm going to hire a private eye to just like, fuck with them, basically, yeah. to try and scare them apart from being together. But the private eye, it turns out, is also a clan member who finds out Weather Report is black and tries to kill him. And then Weather Report unlocks his, like, super magic stand power because he's got an incredibly powerful stand. And it's, like, chief evolution. Is this ability to create rainbows that trick your DNA into believing you're a snail? They don't trick your DNA into believing you're a snail. They trick your mind into <laughs> believing you're a snail. And then your mind tricks your body into believing you're a snail. Or everyone's just hallucinating all of this. Yeah. He has total weather control, which you can use to influence the path of the sun's rays to create subliminal messaging to make you believe things, but only ever uses it to make people believe they're fucking snails. I'm done. I think it's a useful power, I mean. Would you, are you able to do anything as a snail? Uh, but part six is wild. Um, it's fun, though. Uh, 
Part six also ends with the end of the world. Um, time speeds up, and they can't stop it. Um, Jolene, Joe Taro, Hermes, Foo Fighters, who's the name of the st- uh, the plankton who become a person, um, Weather Report, and Anna Sui, and the little boy whose name I am forgetting, Emporio. They all die, except Emporio doesn't die. He is able to retreat into his stand, which is a room in the prison that was in the old design, but isn't in the new design, so it's no one can access it unless they see him. And he is able to, in the new world, come out of his room in the prison, and he shoots Poochie dead, if I remember correctly. No, he, st- he tries to shoot Poochie. It fails. He uses... Uh, there's a power at one point that allows you to use other people's stands, and I think he uses weather reports to kill Poochie, but I forget exactly which one he uses. But he finally kills Poochie, but he's stuck in this alternate world where Jolene is Irene, and she's being married to um, uh, God, I, Anna Sui, and they don't know each other, but they end up like becoming friends again. Yeah, and it's it's just it's like. I think it's called What a Wonderful World, and it's just, it makes me really emotional. It's just, I don't know. It's weird. And then we are introduced to Part 7, which exists in the world Poochie created. Uh, It's implied that the death of Poochie creates a world where he never existed, so Jolene and Anna Sweet are allowed to be happy. But the world that was created is the Steel Ball Run universe. And the Steel Ball Run universe is part seven. And we are, you won't believe it, back in 1890, but we're in America this time. And we're introduced to Johnny Joestar. Now, Johnny Joestar used to be a very popular jockey. Um, but he's lost the use of his legs. He's paraplegic, and he wants to race again and win this cross-country race called the Steel Ball Run, but he doesn't think he can do it. But he's introduced to a man named Gyro Zeppeli, who helps him get on a horse again. And they end up racing together. And it's a race to get across the, to win this horse race. And there's an alternate version of Dio called Diego, who at one point gains the power to turn into, turn himself and other people into velociraptors. And there's this guy named Funny Valentine, who is the president of the United States. And the main power set has changed slightly. There's something known as the spin, which Gyro can use, um, but it it's not used to the extent that Hammond is the only power set in. Like, in part one and two, you can either have Hammond, or you can be a vampire, or you can just fight with your fists. Whereas in part seven, you can have the spin, or you can use your stand. Uh, but what gives you a stand in this world? It's no longer just being born with one or having an arrow that will do it for you. Um, no, it's the corpse of Jesus. The corpse. So Mormonism is real in Steel Ball Run because Jesus went west. Well, he's technically the nameless prophet, but he's Jesus. He's just straight up Jesus. So we're introduced to Jesus. Uh, and Jesus's undecaying but dead corpse is scattered around the United States of America. And it is up to Johnny Toaster and the gang to get it before the president does, because the president wants to win the stands arm race. It's 1890. It's beautiful. 
it's uh this is a really great part there's some there's some stuff that's really funny in it and it's super odd the stands are off the wall at this point um nothing makes sense but uh it is a very fun game a very fun arc uh, Johnny and Gyro are buds and they're horse racing and their characters like hot pants who can squeeze out flesh from her, um, not an orifice or anything, uh, from like a spray bottle she has. And if you collect all seven parts of God, which I mean, Jesus, if you collect all seven, six or seven parts of Jesus, um, you can... Get a virgin woman pregnant with the last bit, which is just got Jesus's face. And then you get all seven parts. And then you get a stand which diverts bad luck. Like anything that bad that could happen to you is sent somewhere else in time to do something bad. And it's really fun because uh, a big theme in Steel Ball Run is how many, like not theme, but motif is what, how, what chances do you have? How many shots do you have? And Johnny is nothing like his, uh, like Joseph, not, Johnny is nothing like um, Jonathan Joestar, because Johnny is, like, sarcastic and mean and kind of cruel. It's implied that, like, he would rather have the corpse parts be destroyed than have them fall into someone else's hands. Um, he ends up the, the final one in the battle, and he, he has this ability, which allows him to shoot his fingernails. And at one point he gets into the point where they spin so intense that they can cut through anything. And funny Valentine doesn't just have this stand that averts bad luck. Once he gets all of Jesus, he has another unreasonable stand where he can go to parallel universes. And if you touch anything from that parallel universe, unless you're funny Valentine, you just die. Both of you and your counterpart, you just disintegrate and die. So it's kind of interesting. Uh, because Johnny is left with shooting his fingernails. And he only, I think at that point, has ten, because he got to the point where he could easily regrow them, and then he got them so powerful that they had to regrow at a normal rate. So he's got ten fingernails, ten toenails. Uh, and he has to shoot them at Funny Valentine, but he, A, has a limited number, and B, every shot he takes that doesn't work um, is transported somewhere else in history and causes more chaos. Um, so that's great, but he's eventually able to destroy Funny Valentine because he's got the ultimate spiral, which breaks through everything. It's a, it's a pretty funky part, to say the least. And let us not forget the ever-iconic part eight, which is still in production. Part 8, Jojo Leon, which exists in the Steel Ball Run universe and has a character who who was named Josuke Higashikata, but he goes by Gap. There's no Jojo here. This is not a Jolene Kujo situation. This is a Gappy Higashikata situation. Uh, but he's made of an alternate universe version of Yoshikage Kira and this other dude. I'm, uh, I'm forgetting his name. But it's very interesting, because in that universe, Yoshikage Kira, he's not, he's not a serial killer, and he doesn't have Killer Queen. But he has the ability 
Oh, he doesn't have the ability. He is the son of Holly of Holly Cujo or Holly something. Meaning that that's that universe's Jotaro Cujo, which throws a wrench in everything. And Gappy is a combination of these two people, which happened um, in this weird event. And he gets adopted into this family, um, uh, the family of his girlfriend Yasho, or girlfriend. They're they're in love, and it's cute. Um, she's got this fun stand called Paisley Park, which because it's 2012 in that I think 2011 or 2012. So they have iPhones, and she it like gives her options, and like she has to like try to pick the more favorable one. It's fun. Um, but Gabby's fan is wild because it can erase, I think it's, it can erase a property. Very, very confusing. Uh, and, uh, I haven't exactly read much of that one, but it's fun. It's really bizarre. It, it's, uh, each art kind of has its own feel to it. And I highly recommend it. Um, I'm running out of stamina here, forgive me. But. Again, I highly recommend JoJo. It's a very strange arc. I mean, it's a very strange manga. I recommend just trying out different arcs. You, If you want to start with Phantom Blood, which I recommend starting with Phantom Blood, go ahead. But if you want to skip ahead to the stands, I recommend Stardust Crusaders. Um, just stick with it. It's plenty fun. You can always skip some of those like fights that are just kind of weird. And... It's just a fun time. It's really long running. There's a lot to it, but it's it's not super heavy reading. No, depending on the part, some can have like some emotional impact. Like Steel Ball Run is kind of heavy, while also being extremely strange. But um, a lot of part three is super lighthearted, and a lot of part four is super lighthearted. Uh, it's an interesting comic, and I highly recommend it.